This week on the podcast, we discuss how to fix the Gold Coast Suns, take a look at what Brisbane have done to get them in contention, give our end-of-year predictions, and Jake Bakes the holding the ball rule. You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody. Matt Walsh here. Uh, another episode of the podcast is upon us. Uh, Neil Seawang is next to me. He's looking very happy because he's won the ESPN <laughs> Office Cup between Carlton and Melbourne on the weekend. Uh, what did you make of the Ds, Neil? Uh, it was almost the, a comedy of errors that whole game, wasn't it? But the fact that uh, the Demons ended up on the right side of the ledger uh, gave me a little smile on the weekend. A few nervous moments there. Three a down on the bench and five yeah, goals up. Yeah, a lot of nervous moments whenever Sam Frost gets the ball. But <laughs> um, look, it was it, what didn't showcase AFL in the best light, but it was a close finish and... You know, everyone wants a close finish if you end up on the right side. And for the AFL's sake, uh, 100 points scored by both yeah. sides. So, I mean, it can't It was entertaining. Yeah. Uh, Jake, Michaels, what did you make of the affair on Sunday? Well, I was a little bit disappointed, of course. Are you happy now, Neil, that you've probably avoided the wooden spoon? It's funny. When when when, a t- when the team that you support is out of contention and has been out of contention for so long... you For start, finals or the wooden spoon? Well, for finals, <laughs> you start thinking, is it better to finish last and get, you know, apparently there's two, one or two young kids that are head and shoulders above the pack or is it better to claw your way back up the ladder and finish a respectable 12th and I've been wrestling with that over the last sort of month or so and what have you what have you come to a conclusion? it's almost like a, a, a win-win I think for a club like Melbourne which has had its issues with not not trying to win and, and list managing you know prioritizing list management and experimenting has had that history in recent years I think just winning is, yeah. is important and I'd much rather finish 12th with you know come home with four or five wins in the last six or seven I think I think that'd be good for Melbourne well the players are certainly happy and, and fans obviously were as well uh, Christian from Champion Data how are you going yeah I'm going well did you see much footy on the weekend yeah watched uh, I think worked on four games and watched another two or three what was your big takeaway finish um, I'm still liking um, what Brisbane's doing. Um, I'll put myself up too. I put them as my upset last week. But no, that was uh, to finish off the round in that way. They A four-quarter effort just, I thought, controlled that game from go to woe against GWS. I think the highlight for my for my footy-watching weekend was uh, not on an AFL field. It was Majak Dawes returning the VFL, which is an amazing uh, culmination of his recovery to actually get back on the field. It was remarkable and great scenes there. And a great turnout, out. wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. So Arden Street, traditional kind of home for the shin boners. Yeah. Uh, it was a, certainly was a good moment. And we will talk about Brisbane a bit later. We'll sort of tease that one. Uh, but it is time to get onto the agenda for this week. It's time for three on three. The Gold Coast Suns, uh, 11 straight losses now. The one on the weekend was particularly bad. Uh, they allowed 100 points in the first half to the Tigers, who... I mean, look, haven't been setting the world on fire. You probably argue they're getting into some form, uh, some patch of form at the moment. But uh, look, Tony Cochran's now uh, appealed for a priority pick uh, for the Gold Coast Suns because they're they're in such a dire spot. And a priority pick at number one too. Which is, uh, I mean, shooting for the stars. But you, you might as well. And he's the sort of ego that would would ask for that <laughs> uh, sort of a pick. But will it help? Well, I mean, at what point do we sort of say it's almost getting too hard up up on the Gold Coast, Jack? Well, I think we've sort of been saying that for the last couple of years, haven't we? At least I certainly have, and I think I've heard a lot of people say it. That was really horrific. I mean, I I know they've had some shocking performances throughout their club, their short club history, but that was just dire. Well, you could go back, you could put those games back-to-back uh, on Fox Footy or, or, or something like that. Uh, the, the Kyle Reamers game where the Bombers kicked 15 goals in the first quarter, mm. uh, and then that game, and you could say it's from the same year, the, the first yeah, well, second you, that's year the of thing. their existence. There's no improvement. Like, like you know, the, the, the problem is, and we, we keep saying this, and we can give them, we can give the next, the top 10 picks in the next draft, but the reality is, no one wants to play there. Players want to leave, and that, that's not, it, it's not a sustainable like it's just you can't rely on that it's a sick cycle but how do we break it 
Well, I was just going to say, to back to Jake's point, no competition around the country has been able to nail the Gold Coast market. So I think, you know, the AFL is struggling with what the NRL has struggled with before. The um, uh, NBL had a Gold Coast team that sort of didn't last. So it, it seems to be just that area, horses for course for that area. Because the first thing I noticed looking at that game on uh, Saturday was you looked at the outer side, the, the, the stand that's on TV, black and yellow everywhere. Mm-hmm. Not, it was almost try to find mm-hmm. the Gold Coast supporter in that crowd. But that's not an unusual thing up on the Gold Coast. I mean, firstly, the weather's nice. You can go to the beach, you can you know, have a, and a couple of nights out if you want to take the boys up. I know I did that a couple of years ago when Carlton played yeah, up we, there. Yeah, we heard, we heard stories. <laughs> Got a bit rowdy, I think. <laughs> possibly did. Um, but... The, the point being that the people go up there and the crowd might only be thirteen, fourteen thousand people each week for a Gold Coast game. And you think, oh, that's actually not too bad for a fledgling team, smaller market. Uh, but half the crowd's made up of, of travelling supporters, at least half in some cases. Christian, we, we were talking in the pre-podcast meeting and, and the fact that you, the the Gold Coast was sold as a generational um, project. Uh, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> that they were um, sold as a, a generational um, project. And we, we all believed that. I, I bought and, that. And, and, and you're that was, starting to doubt that That goes now. back to Demetrio. So Demetrio is the one that Andrew Demetrio, when he was in charge, set it up and sort of kept sort of uh, temping everyone's expectations by saying, look, this might not happen in our time, but in 30 or 40 years, this will be a part of the competition. It'll mm. be, you know, a, a lively a spot and exactly that. It, it, it will eventually get there. I have always had that in the back of my mind when I've sort of, you know, spoken about Gold Coast, tried to judge Gold Coast. I'm starting to turn. The last three or four weeks, I'm really starting to turn thinking, can we give it that much time? Well, we spoke about a Tasmania team, I think, two or three episodes ago. And, and when you see how much the Suns are struggling, not only on field, but to get people to actually go and attend these games, you just think, why don't Tasm- Why is that team not down in Tasmania? It's, it's, it looks like the, the, the pendulum swing a little bit away from we're going to back Gold Coast in mm. for as long the as it Goodwill's running out. Yeah, I think so. Certainly in the footy community away from AFL House and the... I think there's a lot more support now for a Tasmanian team that could work. And if they don't want to introduce a 19th club, maybe if it keeps going like this for another few years, maybe the, the arguments will just be too too strong for to move a team down to Tassie. Back to your point, Christian, about sort of the generational thing. Kids who were sort of just born to three or four years old, impressionable ages, back when the, the Suns first were formed. They're now sort of eight, nine, ten, eleven years old. And, and they're still not... I mean, you look at the, the numbers, the attendance numbers, they're not getting to the footy. There's not a big spike up there. And so I'm now worried as well that the team's that bad and has been bad consistently for a long time. I mean, 11 straight losses, is, it's just deplorable. Well, let's be honest. It's hard to support a team when they're not performing well. well. Correct. So so why would these 8, 9, 10-year-olds want to, on a Saturday, go to uh, Metricon Stadium and, and watch that team play? Well, they wouldn't. Correct. So, so would, would, a, would a number one pick help? Would, I mean... Getting back to the priority pick debate, if they if they're going to finish last, almost certainly they get pick one anyway. If if they're successful in lobbying to get also pick two, is, is that going to help them? Do we think that actually? I mean, Jake, I know that you say that they're just going to keep throwing away picks and no one wants to come and play with them. Mm. But what else can you do? I mean, the the draft is the great equalisation for the teams that finish last. You get the best pick. If if you don't give them that, you might as well just fold the club up. Yeah, well, I mean, you can, and as I said before, I, I think you can give them the next, you could give them the top five or six picks in the draft, but I don't think it's going to really salvage or save the club. I so just, what do you do? I, going back to what Christian's saying, I don't know if there's anything more you can do. Which mature age player, which free agent, for instance, would want to go up to the Gold Coast? If you Coast sent Suns? Tim Kelly or or Steve Canelio up there, do you think they really want to play there? I no mean, way. if they're getting paid double, I mean. The, 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 poor, the unfortunate situation for a club like the Suns is 
you've got to pay way overs in terms of salary and trade. You, th- Which is unsustainable up, in itself. They gave up pick two for Lockie Weller, who looks yeah. like a decent player, but he's not but a he's pick not, two. He's, no, yeah. So they've got to pay way overs in terms of at the trade table or in terms of salary. And then so, they have blokes who are 25, 26, 27, co-captains of the club leaving. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's fine. They'll, they'll get through trades. They'll get top 10 picks back into the club again. But those kids, when they're drafted, maybe they'll want to leave when they're 24, yeah, that, I think that's the biggest thing, going back to what you're saying about the young kids that are coming through to watch your team. You could attach yourself go, all right, I, I know Gold Coast loses, but at least I like Tom Lynch. I oh, know mm. he's gone the he's next gone. year. Oh, at least I like Gary Ablett. No, oh, no, he's gone. So again, why, why give him a Raul and Anderson to fall in love with for maybe two or three years and then he's gone? It's just going to drive more people away from the team. And look, Port Adelaide last trade period kind of summed it up a bit, really. They said that as soon as they can, they'll be going after the South Australian kids that the Suns selected. Every and they said they'd be ruthless the about same, it. Won't they? They're, they're, they're happy to just and, sort and of pillage. And... That's pretty heartbreaking like to hear that because you know, they, they could get these guys and, and develop them and they could become A-grade players and then they're just going to get shipped straight off to all the development back to done. South Australia and I mean it just as you said before it's not sustainable it's unfair mm. but that's just the way it is and, and sport if, traditionally hasn't, hasn't they, worked up there if they do want to look at the silver lining there is a possibility of drawing some in- inspiration from the club just down the road in the lines they weren't quite as dire as what the the Suns have been but seven or eight years ago when they lost five really good players at the same time and they were you know, finishing near the bottom of the table. Retention, all, all was of a huge sudden, issue. retention was a huge issue. And all of a sudden they're a premiership fancy this year and playing some great footy. They've put in the hard yards. So maybe there's a chance. Well, I mean, Jake, you were talking in the pre-podcast meeting about how the Lions went down the path of drafting pairs of, or, or trading in pairs of players, like good mates off the field. Yeah, they did. So I think the, the most notable one was Hugh McCluggage and... Um, Barry. and Barry. So they got those two guys in who played uh, footy together and were close friends. So it just helps when you got a, when you move when you move into state to a football club and you've got one of your close mates next to you. It's harder to leave. And yep. I think it's the same thing with Lockie Neal and Cam McCarthy. Those those uh, Cam McCarthy, Link McCarthy. They got those two guys in together who, who who had a history, and it just helps, and it just gives you someone else to know. And they've done that with quite a few pairs, and I think that's really helped. Them. And another thing that Brisbane's targeted, which they've come out and said, is they've they've gone for the country kids, so guys that have either grown up in Vic Country or like Lockie Neal, who grew up close to the South Australian Victorian border. So those country kids that don't have that greater pool to to go home, mm. there's, there is no local team for them to come. They're not home from to. the city. They don't they don't want to go back to a city. Yeah. One one last very quick one word answer. Are the Suns going to be a club? Are they still going to be around in ten years? The AFL they've poured too much money one into word. it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. Probably. <laughs> yes. I think I'll out one that. word answer. I like that. Uh, yeah. So we should move on. Uh, speaking of of teams who are maybe not performing, we look at Port Adelaide and they've got the kind of insane. Uh, Form line at the moment where they've gone win loss win loss win loss win loss. So for their last eight matches, they've alternated wins and losses. The model of inconsistency or consistency, if you want to look at it that way, Christian, can we kind of look at Port or the competition in general? Like how widespread is this, and and is footy inconsistent, consistent? Like what can we draw from yep. from Port Adelaide? So trying to keep it simple for a podcast without sort of <laughs> having to throw up big graphics and tables all over a screen or anything, but sort of looked at um. Three game streaks. So, how often you've either won three games in a row or lost three games in a row this year? Um, it gets a little bit confusing. So, just sort of a qualify here. So, if Gold Coast, if they lose four games in a row, that's actually two three game streaks that they've lost in a row. So, they've lost games one, two, and three, and games two, three, and four. So, it counts as two separate three game streaks. So, that's how we're looking at things. 
Port Adelaide are the only team that have not had a three-game streak. So they haven't won, obviously, you know, three games in a row and haven't lost. So they're on top of the inconsistency ladder. Correct. So consistently inconsistent. And sort of looking at that sort of um, ranking teams by that stat, you can sort of see probably, again, as tipsters and things might notice, probably the, the teams that are harder to tip the games of are right at the top of this ladder. So GWS have only had one three-game streak this year. They had a three-game uh, three-game winning streak earlier in the season. Brisbane have had two, North two, Hawthorne two, Essendon two. So you sort of look at those five or six clubs and you think, again, that the, the tipping and sort of sitting down and watch those games, you, you don't know how good those teams are going to be. Essendon, some weeks look like a top four team, another week look like a bottom four team. Um, and go, sort of going down the other end, so the teams that have been the most consistent, if you like, is so Gold Coast have had 10 of these three-game streaks. Uh, the next most is seven. So Gold Coast is uh, one three-game, three wins in a row and nine three losses in a row. So that's their 10 games. Geelong's had seven three-game streaks, which is all winning streaks. Carlton have had the six three-game streaks and their six losing streaks. And Collingwood have had the five three-game streaks, five winning streaks. So again, those four teams there are probably anchored to their parts of the ladder. Got Carlton and Gold Coast down the bottom. Collingwood, Geelong up the top. So you can sort of see, looking at this, it is a very sort of volatile competition in terms of you don't know what you're going to get across a two three week two three or four week period for each team so his, historic is this 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 year more than ever seems like it's up and down and it's certainly apart from maybe the top two and the bottom two any team can beat any other it's is this yep. year so we we'll, we'll sort of looked at it as a, a volatility sort of rating and it's the second most volatile season since 2000 um only 2017 has been more volatile so if we took out gold coast from that so gold coast being consistently bad actually <laughs> makes it less volatile. If we took them out, it would be the most volatile season in terms of the hardest, you know, hardest season to read form on. Well, that makes sense because, I mean, the last three, I guess, three years, especially towards the back end and finals, it's been a bit of a chuklotto as to who's going to go all the way. I mean, the last three premiership winners, you could almost argue, were and weren't favourites at some mm. point. Yep. And and this year, I mean, there's, I mean, who knows how the, the run to September is going to play out, but... There's so many teams that you know, I just can't get a read on. So Port Adelaide going win loss win loss, but you got the Dogs, you got the Crows, the Swans, the Bombers, Fremantle, all, yeah, Fremantle, Sydney, even. yeah, exactly. And it's just, I mean, it's a nightmare for punters. It's a nightmare for for tipsters. <laughs> it's a nightmare for us so-called media types to try and you know predict or um, analyze these results. It's uh, it's, it's not an easy gig. Well, I mean, we saw it. Sorry, we saw it from this round. Even uh, so, at the completion of this round, I think all but three or four teams had moved positions on the ladder after round 16 so that's quite rare to be this late in the season to have so much movement on the ladder within one round Jake you found out a really interesting stat yeah uh, I, on the I, I did read this on Twitter I think it was there's been more so the team placed 17th on the ladder has won more games than the t- than the team placed second on the ladder going into any given round I think it's five wins to the team placed 17th and four to the team placed second that's remarkable have to get that checked but, I, but I'm stunned by that like that just shows that anyone is winning on any given day. Well, I mean, you looked at a few weeks back, Carlton beat Brisbane. Brisbane's um, fourth on the ladder. Yeah. Collingwood won. hasn't done that uh, too many favours in the last few weeks. So <laughs> is, this, is this a good thing, though? Like, I mean, the AFL has always wanted an, an any given Sunday utopia where any team could beat any other. Well, well it's a good question. thing for the, for the average person sitting down watching a game of footy, a neutral or whatever, but I think, as you say, from, from a point of forecasting, tipping, predicting, <laughs> trying to have give some sort of insight. It's obviously difficult, but I think overall it's it's a good thing. We don't want three or four teams dominating and three or four teams just, you know, losing mm. every single week. I think it's great. I think the you sort of um every you know, it's almost comes Monday morning, you always hear the debate of where's footy at, oh it's too low scoring and it's a but at the end of it, go back to Matt's point, the last three premiers, Bulldogs sixteen, Richmond seventeen, West Coast last year. 
when you sum up the whole season, they've been great footy seasons. They've ended with great stories, great final series. So I think footy's in a great place. Yes, mm. it might be hard to watch. I, again, because all nine games are served up to you on TV, you're watching a lot more footy and seeing the negatives more. Mm. But I think taking that step back and looking at the competition as a whole, I think it's in a great place. Oh, it yep. is. Fix up the the score of your system, and we're and we're laughing. <laughs> well, we'll get to that a bit. Well, we'll get to your gripes a bit later uh, when you when you have your it's, rant. It's not the score of you for once. <laughs> no, it's not. But I'm looking forward to your segment. By the way, uh, we will move on. Uh, so we're almost. We're more than halfway now. We're almost, almost two thirds, aren't we? I was about to say we're almost two thirds. We're probably uh, what three fifths. <laughs> Can we get the halfway halfway do we want to get? <laughs> Fifteen out of twenty-three. <laughs> uh, so we're look. We're a fair way through the season. Um, so we thought we'd sort of revisit or not revisit but give again our end of year predictions uh, who we think is going to win the flag the Brownlow medal the rising star I mean throughout the year we've had debates on this podcast about um, various bits and pieces who's going to make finals and all that sort of stuff so Jake I know that you're pretty happy with your predictions from preseason have any of them changed do you think who do you think is going to win the flag at this point of the year well that's the only prediction that I think has changed for me at the start of the year I thought Collingwood would win um, you're off the pies I still think they can win. Clearly, they can still win. They're they're probably going to finish top four, and they're going to get some players back. And you know, if you're going to have a poor period, you want it to happen this time of the year. I think they're going to be okay. But right now, I'd probably say Geelong's the the team to beat. I know they've had a a reasonably rough patch. So who's playing off in the grand final then? I think Geelong is going to play Richmond in the grand final. You're on the The Tigers. Tigers are going to come home strong, are they? You've picked the same grand final as me. That's exactly what I'd written down in my piece of paper. So I never know. I wrote it down after you. I didn't. I didn't see yours. <laughs> Who wins the flag for you? Uh, I'll, I'll tip Geelong to win that game. Uh, Brownlow medal. Are you still on Lockie Neal, Jake? Well, I am. It's hard to go past him. He's a star, isn't he? You picked him. That was a, that was a very good prediction from you, preseason. I swear. Ever since he went up to Brisbane and interviewed him, he's had yep. those uh, lovey dovey eyes hey. about Lockie Neal. Uh, Neil, sorry, I skipped you before. Who's winning the flag for you? Uh, so very quickly, I've got uh, West Coast winning the flag against Collingwood. Repeat of last year's. Grand final well, last year's result. That. Mine's a bit similar to yours. Mine is West Coast winning the flag. I think they can go back to back, but they're playing Geelong in the grand final. Uh, Brownlow medal winner, Christian. Uh, this is, again, there's probably three or four I could see winning it, but the one that I sort of want to win out of that of those four, Travis Boak, just at that stage of his career, I was always, um, I was big on him as a kid, sort of fell off him five or ten years into his career, but I just think he's having a great season and, yeah, it would be good to see him would, win one at this stage of his career. Would it be like Matthew Richardson when he moved to the wing, kind of that, that I don't think he's as story. popular, but, yeah, it'd be similar in terms of, I think, you know, the other names I got written down, Tim Kelly, you know, Nat Fife's already won one, Dangerfield's already won one. Just let's have both have his turn this year and Tim Kelly can win the next three for all I care. <laughs> Very good, Neil. I've got the Bont. I, I think he's been enormous this year. I know, good. Jake, you, you think he's a little bit overrated. No, no, but, he's been good. I, I, so how come you had a snigger then? When I said the bond, the bond. No, I was just like well, I was going to do it to whoever you said, <laughs> other than Neil. <laughs> he he's so if, if we're looking at it from a, a betting point of view, he's he's well off the first first line of betting. He's at thirteen to one, and he's not going to have a that he's not going to have that many teammates that actually still votes off him. And I reckon he's got at least five or six best ons already this year. Yeah, no, he's had he's a good, been he has had a good year. Yeah, and he's an, an eye catcher. As well. I was going to say he's a, not flashy, but he is an eye catching yeah. sort of player. Um, I'm look, I like Tim Kelly. I think. The only thing that, that turns me off Tim Kelly winning the Brownlow medal at this point is who's taking votes off him? Because you have Gary Ablett, who, who will have 23 touches and kick three goals, and that's that's probably a match-winning performance. That's a three-vote performance. You have Dangerfield. Sure, he plays forward a bit more now, but you know when he goes into the middle and has his 30, he's an eye-catching player as yeah. well. Hawkins had that stretch again, so I think five games in a row he kicked four, so he's probably getting, getting, getting votes. Getting votes, I mean, there, so. uh, it's... it's, it's kind of tough because Kelly's a good player and you know that he can get votes but when you've got other players in such good form in that team um, 
it's kind of hard. You ne- you sort of never see a Brownlow winner from the team that finishes sort of top two in in on the ladder. I mean, it, it kind of happens less often than you think, really. Yeah, um, story if he wins it. It would be for sure. It'd be probably one of the best Brownlow stories, Jake. You, you I in. think it would be. I can't recall. Second I mean, obviously, player. I wasn't around in the fifties and sixties, but I can't recall. <laughs> A more unbelievable winner. I mean, when you think no one even knew who this guy was two years ago. Jimmy Stein's story, come on. To come in and win the Brownlow medal, I mean, that's just incredible. In that stacked team where you've got probably five genuine superstars Mm. and he just waltzes in and and just shows them all up. Maybe that helps him. Maybe, who knows. Hey, does Jeremy Cameron hold on for the Coleman medal? Yeah, he does. I think he he had a great start, slowed down, but... At the end of the day, I, I think he's probably going to keep kicking two, three, four every week, and, and he'll probably hold on. He's six, but he's certainly six not six kicking 100. Of, yeah, six ahead of Hawkins. Um, I, I think he holds on. Yeah, I think six goals ahead is probably about two and a half games, three games ahead sort of thing, so I think it's going to be hard to catch him. The thing I like about Tom Hawkins is he's an incredibly consistent goal kicker, and he's a good kick for goal, whereas Cameron will have those patches of games where he just kicks one or nothing like we've sort of seen this year. So if anyone can beat him, I think the Tomahawk can, but... I think you're right. It six. might come down to a, like a Jack Rewalt kicking 10 against the, <laughs> the Suns last year. It might be whoever's playing Gold Coast. Well, it might be. Um, I know that Well, both Geelong and Richmond played them in the last couple of weeks, I'm pretty sure. No, no, no. I'm thinking of another team. Never mind. Uh, ignore me. Uh, and last question for our interview predictions. <laughs> Neil, I'll go back the other way around the uh, the table. Uh, this get heated. The rising star. I have a feeling this will be... Well, surely we're all on the same page here that Sam Walsh wins it. Uh, he's got a lot of detractors for someone that's been incredible in his first year. He probably doesn't have the highlights reel that a few of his contenders do, but he's he's waltzed in. He's you know he's Carlton's number two midfielder already. I can't believe this is even a question. To me, it's, it's just it's so Walsh. obvious. Yeah. I, I've I've actually yeah kind of laughed with myself. We did one round four or five. Was it Rosie or Walsh? And then three weeks ago, it was is it Stack or Walsh? And it's it's Walsh. Like yeah. it's got to be Sam Walsh. Jake, I think you're going to be the point of difference on uh, this I think one. it's Sydney Stack, clearly. No, it's Walsh. <laughs> Come on. like Look at what he's done. Seriously. You can I throw mean, a blanket underneath I, I said earlier in the year that I really liked Rosie, and I still do. I think he's a really great player, clever, clean, skilled player. But like, let's be honest. What Walsh has done in, in let's say, the second worst team in the comp, and, he's, and especially in the last couple of weeks without uh, Paddy Cripps there, he's been enormous. And, Consistent. And, and, and the entire year. Hasn't had a break. Hasn't... I, I'm excited after 15 games watching him. Imagine where he's going to be after 30 or 50 games or 100 games. He, thing... He's, he's going to be a huge player. Yeah, the only thing that hurts him from the general punter's perspective is, you know, you might not watch every game, but you'll watch the highlights at, at the end of the round and you'll see mm. Sydney Stack taking big hangers or Blakey kicking goals. From Connor Rosie having a snap. Yeah, exactly. But Walsh's yeah. elite consistency doesn't make that highlights real. Carlton fans can be nuffies, and I, I'm, I'm guilty of that. But I think they all Carlton fans realise how good and how special yeah. this kid is because we're watching him every week. If you pointed him out to someone who'd never seen the game before and said, uh, this bloke's about to play his 200th game, I, I don't think that, it, that the person you're telling that to would be like, nah, that can't be right. Yep. He's just got that sort of professionalism. He glides across the park. He's a good user of the footy, and I think he should be the rising star. How about stat with champion data? So Brisbane are in the top four, uh, Jake, your your second team. You've been watching them pretty closely this year. Uh, Not only that, but they're a game inside the top four. The question's a pretty simple one for the table. Are they the real deal? They're the real deal in terms of definitely playing finals, being being capable of beating any team on their day. I I, I still don't think they can quite win the flag. I think it's a year too early for them. So how how far are you willing to go sort of up up the chain? You reckon they'll definitely make finals? Them, I can, yep. I Will can they s- make the top four? I can see them maybe making a prelim. I can see them doing a Melbourne run of last year. Young team, momentum, exciting footy. But I can I, I don't think they're quite going to make the grand final. So 
for me, two or three years ago, I was big on you have to have lost a few finals before you can make it further in the finals, and that was always my mantra. I was always, but Bulldogs been thrown out the window, thrown that out the window. So I, again, I'm jumping on and looking at Brisbane, going they can definitely make prelim. The, the way they play the game and the attacking sort of flair that they've got um, in a, in a tight finals game, they've sort of again their defense is a bit of a worry. But in a tight finals game, I can see them actually getting a three or four goal burst and you know sort of breaking the game open when it needs it's, to it's be. It's scoring. That's that's the thing. I mean, we all look at. There's so many different facets, but they're, they're scoring. And I think that was probably, for me, that was my... And I was hot on them at the start of the year, but that was my one c- concern. It was like, can they score enough? Because they don't have a big key forward. I know Hipwood's had, had his moments, but he's not the consistent player that we want. You know, McStay is a bit of a journeyman, and he plays his role quite well. Um, and then you've got Charlie Cameron in there, who's a star as well. But they don't have they don't have a player you can Tom rely Hawkins on for, who will kick for, three goals a game. No, they don't have that. Um, but it hasn't affected them at all because they're getting goals out of their midfield. They're getting Lincoln goals from Zorko and McCarthy. Um, Cameron and, and it's it's not affecting them at all. And I'm this I, I don't know what the stats are, but I, I'm, I think they're right up there in terms of in terms of scoring. Pure yeah, scoring. Th- yeah, I think the third for points four. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's funny you mentioned about the key four. So I look, sort of looked at the team and the players that are playing in their team, and they've got. Star players in the right position. So they've got a star inside midfielder in Lockie Neal. They've got an elite wingman in Hugh McCluggage this year. Um, they've got an elite ball user across half-back who's Daniel Rich. They've got an elite key defender in Harris Andrews. How good is Harris Andrews? Seriously. At, at the present time, we haven't got Charlie Cameron rated elite, but he's just he's not far off. Um, another two or three good games for him, and he'd probably go to the elite bracket. And Steph Martin's still a good ruckman. Again, not in the top three or four ruckman this year. But they've got, again, just breaking down in positions. They've got a star mm. in each position. Key forward, as you said, Hipwood, McStay, even Josh Walker earlier in the season was, yeah. was just yeah. doing his job clunking those marks. So they've been able to get by... But yeah, sort of just looking at the attacking sort of side of things. So they are, they're 12th for marks inside 50, but third for scores per inside 50. So again, they're not relying on a big key forward leading out of the square to get their scores. So looking at the top five teams for inside 50s this year, so total inside 50s, the top fives, Port, Mal- uh, Port Adelaide, Melbourne, <laughs> Brisbane, Bulldogs and Richmond. And then looking at where each of those teams rank for scoring per inside 50. So Port ranks 16th for scoring once inside 50. Mm. Melbourne 18th, Brisbane 3rd. Bulldogs tenth, Richmond thirteenth. So they're comfortably above every other so team in terms of converting quantity and quality. But it makes sense because, like you said, like Charlie Cameron's buzzing around the bottom of the packs. Hipwood's he's an agile tall. Yeah. Uh, Lincoln McCarthy he can he can find the footy. He's a, he's a smart footballer. They they for for a forward line that doesn't have that key that dominating forward, they make defenses really nervous. I think yeah, because good, because they've course. got so many different aspects and they've got the pressure. Um, Zorko runs through there. He's had no, Zorko. Say, so Zorko's the one. He's the best deliverer inside 50. He probably has been. Tom Lynch was always up there for Adelaide. I think mm-hmm. Zorko's overtaken the last two years. So he's had 72 kicks inside 50 this season. 36 of those resulted in a score for Brisbane, so 50%. <laughs> that ranks him second of the top 100 players for kicks inside 50. Who's Jared number one ben, out of interest? Um, that was Jason Johannesson. Who's, yeah. who's down at, I think he's had 37 inside 50. So he's had right. as many inside 50s yeah. as Zorko has had scores from inside 50. Hmm. So, um, and Jared Berry's actually sixth highest percentage in that stat. So 46% of his kicks inside 50 result in a score. And again, he ranks in the top 100 for well, that Helps stat, when you've got so. two of the top 10 in, in terms of delivering the ball inside 50 to so where you need the ball. Though, like, you know, so, we talk about Melbourne not being able to hit a target inside 50 and that sort of stuff. And just look at that. You get, you get players. It's the most important. We talk about kicking for goal, but getting a, a set shot, a, a mark inside yep. 50 is so valuable. So they've obviously got a lot of talented individuals all playing well. What about game style, Christian? Are they are they playing a premiership brand of football or have they changed anything through the year? Um, so again, just sort of looking at again, just looking at raw defensive numbers first. So again, I think that is where their issue is. So 
Uh, they rank 12th uh, in inside 50s again, so they're conceding, you know, the um, the 12th fewest of anyone, 12th most of anyone. Ninth for scores per inside 50 against and 10th for points against. So they're not in the top eight for any of those defensive stats. So they're not they're not miserly like some of the other teams. But as Jake points out, like they're just trying to outgun you on Correct. the day, really. Which is, which is why they're probably one of the best teams to watch. Like, you know, mm. you'd love to get in front of the TV and watch Brisbane play. But sort of looking at that, sort of how that stacks up to... Um, previous premiers and we know defense is you know goes a long way to winning premierships so sort of breaking the game down into how they score and what they're scoring from there's two the two main score sources obviously whether you're scoring from clearances or whether you're scoring from intercepts in general play um so this year they've been the second best side at scoring from a clearance so if they win a clearance they're going to score 26 percent of the time second highest percentage of any team uh, and then the second best at scoring from intercepts so 20.5 percent of the time they win the ball back from the opposition they score Looking at them defensively, they're the third hardest side to score against from clearances. So they're nailing it both ways. They're good at scoring, good at stopping opposition scores. But they've been the fifth easiest side to score against from turnover. So I think that is the one that highlights me as, as their issue is they are playing such an open brand of footy that mm. it is hurting. And that if they, they turn it over, they're going to be the fifth easiest side to score against. That doesn't line up with a what we would call a you know, premiership signature. Like that, does, that sort of doesn't stack up with the other teams that won previous premierships. But it is something they've clearly addressed in recent weeks. So just looking at points differential um, from rounds 1 to 10. So from intercepts, they were negative 57 points, which ranked 13th. And when, when was it? Between uh, rounds 1 and 10? Rent, yeah, rounds 1 and 10 this is. And they were, they were first for clearance points differential. So again, killing clearances, but ranking 13th off intercepts. So for rounds 11 to 15, I really think they've uh, made a concerted effort to fix that side of it. They're plus 51 points from intercepts, which is the fourth best. And they've sacrificed a little bit from clearances. They're still the fifth best points differential from clearances, but I think it's almost like they've taken a little bit away from that part of the game to concentrate on the intercept part of the game. If they can continue that for the rest of the season, they get themselves back up into a premiership. That's a 108-point turnaround in terms of scoring from intercepts. I mean, so that's not a small change. That's like a a, quite a... There must be a large structural change. It must have been... It's not just the players noticing something on the field. That's got to be a coaching. Yeah, and it's around the bye round. So I reckon the coaches would have sat down and sort of looked at, all right, where are we at? What what is successful brands Mm. of football? Um, And it has. It's it's stacked up for probably, I think it's 12 of the last 13 premiers have ranked in the top three for points from intercept so it's stacked up for a long time now um and it's something they've obviously identified so just looking away from that one of the most again a little underrated stat i think for me is just time in front this season so how how often are you in front of a game they've been in front for 54 percent of game time this year which is fourth the only teams above them geelong collingwood gws so it, it stacks Usual up suspects. it's probably obvious that the top four are going to be in the top four in that stat but again it's not like they're they're winning games late or sort of getting in front late and having these fluky wins. Mm. They're, they're controlling games for long enough to be sort of mentioned with the top teams. And the other thing they've got in uh, just reading your um, your notes here, Christian, is the fact that they've had a really healthy list for most of the year. Um, 13 players have played every game, which is two more than any other side. So no chopping and changing, no no really bad injuries. The, the fact that they've got their best players on the park for most of this season. And the interesting sort of counter number to that is, so you might say their depth hasn't been tested, but they're still used 34 players. So they've still blooded a few guys here and there and given them one or two games. So it's not like there's there's 10 or 15 guys that haven't had a taste of action this year. They've, no. they've played them a few, but they've, they've been able to keep their core players on the park. You look at a team like Richmond. I mean, when they won the flag in 17, they had... Uh, a great run with injuries so I mean sometimes it comes down to how fortunate you like are as a team injuries no 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 but, but if sometimes you, if you, you don't have injuries yeah. I mean you just got to makes it easier to win when you have take all the luck when you get players it. available yep. just as a sidebar how great has Luke Hodge been for this club and if they do go on to win it where does he like where's his legacy at now five flags who knows he might we might win another Norm Smith 
I mean, <laughs> he's got to be in the all times right oh, now. I think he already was before. I would argue he was before he went to Brisbane. He has been great for him, and it's been a big tick. But I would have already had him up there as you know, Hall of, you know, clearly a first yeah. ballot Hall of Famer if you want to call him that. <laughs> and I thought he, he was there. cooked when he was done at Hawthorne. I, I couldn't in his last year at Hawthorne. He looked so slow. He looked like he was one of these guys that just looked ready to end his career. And I was actually kind of staggered the fact that the Lions wanted to get him up there. As you were player. happy with Jordan Lewis. You thought you guys can take <laughs> Luke Hodge. We'll have Lewis. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> backfired. Hodge, Hodge should have got the three-year deal. <laughs> he should have. He should have done. Yeah, he's been great. He's been amazing. He has, and I think his influence um, on other players on the ground in the yeah. absence of runners. Uh, like I see a lot of Hodge in Daniel Rich these days as well. And, well, it's and helped. Little Rich, wonder he's helped, elite. It's helped players like Witherden and yeah. Harris Andrews. Just the whole backline, I think, is benefit. Even someone like McCluggage, you know, off a wing or when he's yeah. playing on the outside a bit. Like you could just sort of see that the Hodge influence on. In games and yep. and I think you're right, Jake. I think he's probably going to be one of the best of all time. I've had a gutful, Jake. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, we did sort of foreshadow it in the intro, but you are going to bake one of the rules, the holding the ball rule in particular. What have you got for us? Well, it's sort of the holding the ball rule. And again, someone mentioned this earlier in the pod. It's a little bit hard to. I think it was Christian. You said it's hard to sort of get graphics and and stats up here to to demonstrate what you're saying. What drives me nuts in games, and I see it every weekend, and I saw it, um, I saw it a few times in the Carlton Melbourne game, was when say you've got the ball, Matt, and I tackle you straight away, and instantly the ball pops out, or you just let go of the ball, and I tackle you to the ground. It's a free kick for holding the man. It's not incorrect disposal. It's not dropping the ball, which they, which doesn't seem to be a rule anymore. It's holding the man now. A player, when they're tackling, isn't looking at where the ball is in relation to... Is it is it still in the hands? It's, you're tackling and you're trying to tackle them to the ground. So why is that the tackler penalised for tackling, yet the, the person that has been tackled gets away with dropping the ball or an incorrect disposal? I don't understand how this, this is just a thing that... And I can tell... I know fans get frustrated by it because you can tell just as they tackle and you can see the umpire put the whistle to his lips and you know it's going to be a free kick for holding the man. It's infuriating. I reckon the, the holding the ball slash incorrect disposal slash dropping the ball is by far the most confusing rule has been in the whole year. sport. It has been. It seems to be getting for, more confusing. For, for more than a year. I reckon if you took this someone that's never been to a game and you'd say, and, and they'd say, hey, what, what's the rule here? <laughs> I would actually struggle to, to yeah. really define it. It's, and it's be the consistent. threshold of how loud the crowd is these days. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's really frustrating. I, d- I don't get... Cause When's the last time you saw a, a dropping the ball? Like when have you ever heard an umpire in the last five years rule? say the word drop say well, dropping the I ball? I mean incorrect disposal. Incorrect I think disposal is the, the terminology. Yeah. But like but my, why is that not my favourite's like it's like when your your sort of um, like like you explained, my favourite is when the umpire says play on. It came out in the tackle. I mean, is that not dispossessing that, someone? Yeah. Like, should they not be rewarded for for that? I, I mean, that's what I mean. That's like how's that? Yet if you tackle them for a split second too long, it's holding the man free kick. And then, and then continuing on this theme, Jake, it's I, if I was ranting about a rule, it would be the fact that well, you can let's all have a go. <laughs> it's when when players collect the ball and they've got one millisecond to dispose of it, and they get tackled straight mm-hmm. away, and then that's hold, holding the ball. Yeah, and and I, I think well, I'm sure I wasn't the only person who noticed, but it seemed like that was a real hot rule this round rule particularly, particularly in the in the Friday night game between Hawthorne and Collingwood it just seemed like in the first 10 minutes they paid holding the ball about 6 times um, yeah bizarre the one I, I don't like no actually I've got a couple that I don't like one I don't like is when a player is leading to the footy 
and they drop an easy chess mark and the player who's trailing them, who's defending, comes in to make a bit of body contact to try and spoil the ball. And the ball's already spilled off the other player's chest and they get a free kick for in the back or, or holding the man or, or dragging the man down. The Ben Brown special. <laughs> well, it's like the player who's dropped the mark is being rewarded for being inept, for yeah. not being able yeah. to take the mark because there's contact afterwards. And you just you know it's going to happen and you can't change the rule. But I'd argue with that one. Just don't put your... Don't push or like well, whether they mark it or don't mark it, just don't do anything. But illegal. any sort of contact's going to draw yeah. the free because he doesn't have the ball in his possession. I mean, it's that's the crazy thing. And the other one, <laughs> I'm going to jump on this, is um, what can and can't you do on the goal line when the ball's coming in for a well, goal? Well, that's that, yeah, you mentioned this before and this is... Um, you could literally kill a bloke. Yeah, you can you can drag someone down and the ball sails over the top and it's a goal and it's back to maybe, the Maybe not literally kill a bloke. And I don't get why... What other sport... Are there, are there different set of rules or rules go out the window depending on what part of the field you're in oh, it's I guess bizarre in, I reckon in, in soccer if you're if it's a penalty opportunity it has to be really obvious but it, it, a foul that might be outside the box might be a little bit more lenient but yeah but I think in, in soccer like it's you don't score as much so they're, mm. they're way more it's, fair enough so it's yeah. like but in football it's like hang on a minute yeah, that's not a goal because you've just decked the go- you decked the defender on the goal line, and he was about to touch it. We could have a whole podcast on on umpiring, I reckon. Oh well, can I and give some umpires some love here? So you've all oh, been ready no, about no, it. No, I no, actually, no. there's there's one thing I noticed on the on the weekend that I thought I liked. Uh, late in game, so I think it was the Essendon Sydney game and um, the Carlton Melbourne game was definitely in. I don't know if it was in another one. Late in the game, less than a minute left, the umpire said, "I'm going to throw it up here in the middle because I don't want to stuff up the bounce and lose for three or four seconds," which. Again, it's been a big bugbear of mine of losing time. Yeah, I'm no. big on the umpire knowing the game situation. Just making that, I thought something simple. I was actually like, unless good it starts there. raining, be consistent nah, throughout. Well, why why not do it in the rain then? What do you mean? No, but if they're throwing the ball up consistently in the rain, that's fine. Keep throwing the ball up. But it's if they've been bouncing it all day, and then nah. for the last contest, for evenness' sake, they decide to throw it up when the whole they point of the bounce is the variable the bounce. Why bounce it? No, you've bounce got to it bounce to start it. the game, and that's it. Throw it up. It's after not that it. hard to bounce the ball. Well, it is. Have you seen half these umpires? Have you tried? I, I, will, right I, will, <laughs> I guarantee you, I will bounce. I could bounce the ball five times, and that'd be all like. Fine. We're going to have we to need to get this, this and yeah. then we'll put it, it out on, that our, on our I'm, tips I am going to take action on this. <laughs> Actually, I'm glad I didn't say like 10. <laughs> the over-under is like 0.5. What are you getting? One <laughs> I, I guarantee you I could I could bounce the ball. How high? A, professional standard? Uh, I don't know. Have we got hey, a sh- all no. we got to do, do is get it straight. Oh, you didn't have to say anything about height, so we'll see. Hey, um, we do have to move on, though. And the three votes goes to... Don't know if you guys saw a photo from the weekend. It was after the Western Derby. Uh, oh. West Coast... <laughs> don't start that debate again. Uh, West Coast had just um, wiped the floor with Fremantle, who has... Honestly, they've neglected... We've sort of... They've avoided the uh, the blowtorch this week from mm. us, but they were pretty horrendous. That was... In fact, let's go and do another pot after this. They, they deserve a baking. <laughs> they do deserve a baking. But uh, there was a photo that caught my eye uh, when uh, the Eagles were being uh, presented with the trophy after the game. And if you just sort of look to the left and the right of the photo, the two bookends, they've got <laughs> Jeremy McGovern and Tom Barras. And they're standing there, stone-faced, while you know everyone else is sort of smiling, they're happy they've won the trophy. Uh, and their shorts, their, their shirts, sorry, been tucked into their shorts, and their shorts are above their belly buttons. Harry, and my pants style. It just looks like something out of AFL Live 2004, a bit of Joe Mercedes action. Um, <laughs> and I could not believe what I was watching, but I liked it. You know what I also liked? 
the winning goal on the weekend, Carlton Melbourne, Jaden Hunt, just like goes that. back from 45. I didn't enjoy it too much. But what you a were sight. were in the office throwing a tantrum. <laughs> <laughs> what a sight it was to see a bloke with a headband like that just celebrating and kicking the winning goal and saying, you know what, I've earned the right to wear this headband. There's some absurd fashion statements going around in the AFL at the moment, but I love them all. Do you have any thoughts, guys? What about Guelphie's haircut? No, that's or, a shock. Hair colour. <laughs> that's a shock. So... You, you, accessories, yeah. Accessories, yeah. yes, but it's hair color. Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have liked Darcy Moore's uh, peroxide blonde locks at the start of the year. Funnily enough, I actually think it looked better with the locks than it without. He's gone a bit too short, I think. Really? I can't like notice Darcy him anymore. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's Where fallen he? off all Australian radar since he since he changed his hair. No one I, notices him. Maybe I'm that's a... what Guelphie was going for. <laughs> I must admit, maybe maybe it's because I'm a little bit follically challenged. I, I do not like the guys with long hair. Who have to wear the little Alice bands, or they have to rearrange their hair, and you often Wait, are they taunting you? No, they. But you often see them like, what's more important, your hair or your profession? And they often might the hair might be in their eyes when they're going for a mark. That's why I liked when uh, well, Jaden Hunt just went back from I'm 45. All, I'm all for adjusting your hair and doing whatever you want in your in your routine as long as you kick it. And he kicked the goal. You got to pull it off. Yeah. I like it. If you kick it, you can do whatever you want. Hey, uh, footytips.com.au is where you can tip with family and friends. Uh, I've just about given up on my season, Neil, because <sighs> you have told me an unbelievable stat from uh, from. Our, from our tipping database. It, it almost makes you want to give up, doesn't it? So in, across 700,000 <laughs> odd tippers, um, the the average total right now um, is 78 after um, after 16 rounds. It's pretty decent. I think I'm about Which is exactly, rounds, yeah. and I'm on 78, so I'm a very much an average tipper. Happy with that. And I feel like I've had a pretty poor year. <laughs> so 78 is the average. We've got someone that's already brought up the tonne. <laughs> He's raised the bat. Raised the bat. We'll give him a shout out. Marcus Giordias. Make sure you give him the right shout. I hope that I've pronounced that correctly. I've got enough experience with people getting my name incorrect, so um, hopefully he um, forgives me if I don't get that right. But to be on a hundred, to be yeah, it's a, it's twenty-two a above the average. That's that's amazing. That's that's incredible. That's three and four. Yeah, exactly. Three and four tips correct. Yeah. I mean, and there've been some really tough weeks to tip too. The first five rounds, it was impossible to get one. It's tip still right. impossible. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we do, we do have to move on. We're running out of time. We've, okay. Uh, uh, do you have any uh, interesting things to look forward to this week? Yeah, the, the two the two closest games from um, the early tips so far: are Essendon North at sixty three percent for the Bombers, thirty seven for North, um, and it's similar um, similar stats for Port Adelaide Brisbane. So at home, more people are looking for Port at sixty seven percent against the Lions at thirty three percent. So no love for the Lions. No love for the Lions. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I reckon that might be well, Port's a, due for a loss, aren't they? Well, yeah, win loss, win loss, win loss. Yeah, surely they'll lose. <laughs> um, but yeah, in terms of upsets, um, uh, opportunities, I I'm a very pessimistic Melbourne fan, and you guys we would know, know that. <laughs> but I think at at Marvel Stadium, I think the Demons could possibly beat the Dogs. Mm. I just think they play they play Marvel a little bit better, a little bit of a tighter ground, and they can match the Dogs in terms of their inside game. They probably can. Yeah. I actually think that the Ds might might uh, cause an upset. Speaking there. of certainties and upsets, Jake, do you have one for us? Yeah, well, I I'm worried about St Kilda this week. I, I like I I'm worried about Alan Richardson and I'm worried about um, the Saints. I think Geelong's gonna gonna smash them. They'd be uh, filthy, the Cats. Yeah, they'll be filthy. They've they've had a pretty poor last few weeks, Geelong. I think they're gonna bounce back really well and they're gonna flog them. Um, and in terms of an upset, again, I'm a big I'm a big believer in backs against the wall, must win sort of games. And I think it's this this is the time now for Frio. They've they've again they've lost to Carlton and then had a shocker and, and, I, I can't and they play them. Hawthorne down in down in Tassie, I think it is. And I you know, I know Hawthorne beat Collingwood, but that Collingwood's not travelling well and I think Frio Frio sh- if if they're gonna play finals they just have to win this game. Well that you've I've, that's my certainty is Hawthorne. Hmm. Down Hawthorne there down in Tasmania. And and you know what, they're still Maybe a Hawthorne, side. maybe Hawthorne of four years ago, but no, I, I, I reckon I reckon 
uh, Frio are almost done, and I think that they're they're yeah the Hawks are going to. Oh, I tend to think that too, but I think if if there's one game they they have to win and, and need to win, it's it's this one. And Christian, what about you? Upset and certainty? Uh, certainty, sort of uh, low-hanging fruit, but Adelaide to beat Gold Coast up there. I think um, they'll That's get that job done easy. And I've actually, <laughs> you're, not, you're not very big with your uh, pre-season predictions <laughs> and your, your certainties oh, I, don't and always, I don't always go the easy well, 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 Your prediction? prediction of Gold Coast winning a game one is actually game. remarkable oh, now, I like to think about. <laughs> go back and listen. I said that they'd win one in the first four in weeks. First four. They so, won two, didn't they? Uh, yeah. Three. They won three. Yeah. So I, was, I was right three times. Uh, so at my upset, I agree with uh, Neil. Melbourne, I think Melbourne's a good chance to beat Bulldogs. Yeah, Walshie? Uh, yeah, my upset, I think, is going to be the D's as well. I think you're right. Really? I think Jeez, I really... now I'm starting to doubt it if you yeah. guys are agreeing with me. <laughs> We're all on board with Kingston. You um, love the doggies. I do like the doggies, but I think you make some really good points about Marvel suiting the D's a bit more uh, and the inside game. And look, the dogs, they got, the dogs up for, they got up for the cats. They suits got the, up for it the does cats. suit the dogs more as well. And well it does, but... The, the, big, the big game as well is um, the last year's grand final um, rematch, um, West Coast versus Collingwood. And does I'm actually, anyone think Collingwood can... No, win? I've got West Coast as my certainty. I think they'll, they'll, wow. they are absolutely flying. Nick Nat looks like he's really re- revitalised them, so I think they'll win by you know, three or four goals. I think that's all we've got time for this week. Don't forget to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and we'll speak to you guys in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.